Hey, well, good morning, Providence. My name is Jared, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, I imagine you're doing well this morning. After all, uh, you are in your PJs. You probably have bedhead. You might be sitting on your couch or in your bed, and you're probably sipping on your second cup of coffee. I imagine you're doing well, except for everything that's going on around us, right? This craziness. Like, I don't know about you, but but it seems like in the midst of this coronavirus craziness that, that it kind of feels like life is on hold, right? And it's a little bit bizarre because for the first time in, uh, in my whole lifetime, as I think about not only the people all across the nation, but all across the whole globe, we're kind of all going through the same trial and the same circumstance together. It's really bizarre. And as I've talked to a lot of you, and as I've walked my neighborhood and talked to a lot of my neighbors, I'm hearing a lot of the same things. I'm saying uh, these things too. It's kind of like, man, I just can't wait for this to be over. I can't wait for the restrictions to be done. And we're saying things like, man, I, I hope this goes away so that I can go back to work. I hope this goes away so uh, football season won't be affected in the fall, right? I was walking my neighborhood just the other day, and I heard one neighbor say to another neighbor, he said, man, I hope this goes away so uh, swim team this summer isn't ruined. And we're saying, man, I hope by the time summer comes, this can be gone so we can go outside, enjoy the warmth, and so it doesn't ruin my summer vacation. Some of you have already had to change plans. Uh, Some of you, your wedding plans are kind of up in the air. You're not knowing what to do. I mean, shoot, this last Monday, uh, it was my birthday. And uh, this was the first time ever for a birthday. I got takeout for lunch, and I had to eat it in the car because there was nowhere to go. It's just interesting. We're just waiting for it to be over. And on top of that, those are just the side effects. Um, You think about the actual virus, and we're wondering with kind of anxiety and worry, like, am I going to get this? I just want this to be over. In, In Omaha, where we are, at least as of yet, we haven't even been hit that hard. In places like New York City, they're praying that this gets over because they're not sure their hospitals are going to be able to to handle this, right? And it seems like for once, all across America, all across the globe, we kind of all have the same hope, right? It's uh, when this gets over, it's going to be okay. Or when these restrictions get lifted, things are just going to be better. The hope is, can we just get back to normal? But if you think with me, just Think about like five or six weeks ago, like before this whole COVID-19 thing hit Nebraska. Um, just, it's a little bit hard to get your mind there because this is just the reality that we know right now. But, but just think about um, how you used to be able to go anywhere. And all of your meetings were still on and all of your appointments were still on. And you were rushing around and you found yourself stressed and chaotic and it was crazy and life was overwhelming, right, before this all started. Or some of you uh, who struggle with, with uh, anxiety and depression like myself, you think, oh, wait, before uh, c- the coronavirus and before the news cycle was hitting my anxiety, there were actually other things that were triggering my anxiety before this. And remember how, how some of you, uh, now that you're home from work, but some of you before were bored at going to work and you hated going into the office and it was just... Uh, an issue that you were dealing with before this. And remember how every day back then it still seemed to carry all the chaos and enough issues to be able to worry about or to be able to occupy our minds on a regular basis. Remember how life was actually challenging before COVID-19? And remember how every day um, we had to fight for satisfaction in those days as well? 
I, I just want to sound the warning for us a little bit because um, although it is an appropriate thing and a helpful thing and a godly thing to, to want this to be done and we should be praying, God, would you keep us healthy? Would you help this to pass? If that is the extent of our hope, um, I think we're going to be sorely disappointed when things get back to normal. Uh, I think getting back to normal won't actually fix us. Today, um, we're going to talk about how God's primary plan to bring hope into this world is through his eternal kingdom and eternal king. This is described to us kind of for the first time extensively in 2 Samuel 7, the passage that Ann just read. And the reality is the temptation for us is to always turn to the, the temporal, the immediate, the thing that is right in front of us. And people have been doing this throughout all history. As a matter of fact, from the very beginning, Adam and Eve did this in the garden. They turned to the temporal, the immediate, and they failed at that temptation. For God's people in, in the exodus, in the wilderness, uh, they turned to the, to the temporal and the immediate to try to fulfill their needs. And even in the backdrop of this story, if you go back to 1 Samuel 8, just a handful of years before our our story about David today, you'll find you found the people of God who felt like they were this kind of puny afterthought of a nation that didn't have a king, and they said, we want something right now. We want the immediate fix, and they begged God for a king. They left God for their king, and their king was Saul. He was this handsome, tall, warrior kind of king, and it seemed like, of course this is going to fix our problems. We learned very quickly that it did not. And for you and I, uh, wherever we are this morning, whatever our circumstances we have this insatiable desire to turn to the immediate and the temporal to try to fix our problems, but I'm not sure that that is what God is inviting us into. Providence, I don't want us to do that in this season. I don't want us to aim solely at the temporal thing, the temporal fix, when we have a king who has power When we have a king who has already shown us how he has walked us through the hills and the valleys of life before this, a king who has promised us eternal hope. I mean, can I get an amen from your living room? If you say it loud enough, I can probably hear you. Like, this is great, right? Today in our uh, Anticipating Easter series, we're going to look at the extravagant promise of a king and how this promise first came uh, to God's kind of prized chosen king, David. And then we're going to see how these promises that God made to the king were actually fulfilled in a greater king, in a greater way, in an eternal way, who brought eternal hope. Today, our, our main idea is very simply this. God's eternal king is the reason for our eternal hope. Let me say that again. God's eternal king is the sole reason for our eternal hope. Okay, so no refilling your coffee now. We're, we're diving into the scripture. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Open up your Bibles or go dust off your Bible from the shelf. Grab it. Open it up. We're going to look at this starting in verse 1. And here's kind of the backdrop that you see right from the top. In this section, there's a guy named David who's the king. And he's finally come down and kind of <sighs> breathing a sigh of relief. His reality for the years before this is he is... It's been crazy for him. He's been on the run. He's been chased down for his own life. People have been stabbing him in the back. He's been at war. He's been in battles. He's barely made it out several times. And finally, he sits on his throne in his plush castle, and he kind of 
breathes a sigh of relief. It even says it in verse 1, if you can see it. It says, the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. And David, all of a sudden, looks around, and he recognizes, oh, wait, I'm in a plush castle, and God is living in a tent. Like, something isn't right about this. It says it in verse 2. If you look at verse 2, it says, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Now, David, most likely with good motives, he loved God. Um, He said, okay, wait, this isn't right. Like, something about this isn't right, that I'm here and that God's there. Um, I want to try to fix this problem, or I want to try to fix God's problem and put him in the right place. Well, as you jump down a couple verses, you see God speaks to the prophet Nathan, who was speaking to David, and he gives him a message for David, and he tells him this. Look at verse 6, just for a second. It says, This is God speaking. He says, I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people out of Egypt. And to this day, he's saying, I still don't have a house. Like, I don't live in a house. In other words, God is saying to David, hey, it's great that you've gotten to a restful place. It's great that you have a castle. It's great that you have landed at a place of power and and security and satisfaction in your, quote, back to normal. But David, here's the reality. I've been with the people of God. I've been through the trials. I've been through the wilderness. I've been throughout all history, and I've never needed a house, and I've never needed people to actually fix my problems. As a matter of fact, David, God is saying to him, hey, David, I've actually carried you along every single step of the way. And that's what he starts off on in, in verse 8, just a couple verses farther down. He starts telling him, David, um, you realize that when you were a shepherd, when you were just a boy, that I was the one who was watching and guiding and caring and protecting you? That, that when you faced Goliath, that, that I was the one who helped you through that. When you grew up and became anointed, anointed to be king, I was the one who got you there. And as you were going in and out of battle, fighting like a warrior, I was the one who was actually protecting you from your enemies. God is telling David that all along it has been me. Maybe you have forgot that thing. This is, what he's trying to communicate is kind of like, you know when you get to be an adult and you look back on what your parents did and all of a sudden you have this like light bulb moment, like, oh man, my parents did so much for me. Like this hit me just last week. Um, I went to, to Costco and you get like $500 of groceries in a cart and you're like, oh my goodness, this is crazy that I'm doing all of this for my kids. And then you go to bed that night, and your kid somehow sneaks into bed, and he's sleeping perpendicular on your pillow. And all of a sudden, he kicks your head in the middle of the night, and you wake up, and you're like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And then um, midweek last week, I think it was Wednesday, um, I, I wake up, get my one-year-old, lift her out of the crib, and she's got a, let's just say a bad diaper. So I lift her up, and I'm taking her, holding her clear out like this, and as I'm going out, her big sister, who's four, runs into her room, and she said, Dad, it's in the crib. It's still all over the crib, too. And I'm like, I've done so much for these kids, and all of a sudden, it hit me. I'm like, oh, wait. My parents did this for me? My parents lived with this misery that I caused them with me waking them up and pestering them and making them change my diapers. This is, like, this is crazy. Like, they did a lot more for me than I realize. I realize, wow, my parents have gotten me here. What God is saying to us through this passage is providence. God has gotten us here. 
This is not by our own accord, by our own efforts, but God has gotten us here. And for us in this moment, whether you are feeling a sense of peace and calm or whether you have high anxiety and worry about the thought of getting sick from the virus or about your job security or whatever it might be, God wants to remind us this morning that if we are in Christ, he has authored this story, your story, and gotten you to this point. And that he will walk you through fear. He will walk you through anxiety. He will even walk you through sickness if need be. In Providence, this morning, we can rest because our eternal God has orchestrated our steps. He has not left us. He will stay with us. God's eternal king has shown us hope from our past. Now, God, in his message to David starts shifting from the past to the future. And he says, in, if you jump down to verse 11, um, you know that David was saying before that he was going to try to build God a house. Now, God flips, on it, flips it on him. He turns the table on him in verse 11. He says, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house, David. This is kind of a play on words here that we might not get right away, but we're supposed to see that David tries to build this physical house for God, like a temple, like a physical place for God to dwell. And, and God says, no, 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 I don't need that physical house right now. Um, I'm actually going to build you a house, David, a household, like as in like a dynasty or a lineage. I'm going to build you a forever house or a forever dynasty. Verse 12 plays off this. It says, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne forever. In other words, God will give hope to the world through David's house or through his dynasty. Now, now God has just pointed out to David that he said, Hey, David, do you realize that, that from all your past, from all your growing up years, I have watched over you, I've guided you, I've cared for you, I've protected you, I've brought you I brought you all this way. And now he's saying, as you look into the future, I'm going to do the very same thing. And I'm going to establish your kingdom forever. And so David hears this, and I imagine he's thinking, oh, he's going to bring this new thing, this hope through my house, through my offspring. So he's thinking, my son Solomon is going to carry this on. And his son, and his great-grandson, and his great-great-great-great-grandson, they're going to all carry this on. And, and God is going to bring them hope through my line through my house. However, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know how the story goes, right? That, that Solomon only kind of has a, a half-hearted following of God. And then if you look to his grandsons and his great-great-grandsons and great-great-great-grandsons, you'll find the Bible even describes them, these men, as some of, some of the most evil kings to ever exist. In other words, these kings turned from God and they became faulty kings. And as there were faulty kings and disobedient kings, the people became disobedient people. They turned from God as well. In other words, as the king goes, the people go. And as people or people who attempt to follow God, we a lot of times fall into this same pattern. You know, um, as we face uh, this common kind of enemy of the coronavirus, I, I think um, that many of us are tempted uh, to place our hope in these temporary kind of placeholder kings. And so I wonder if right where you're sitting right now, if you would do an honest assessment, if you would realize, wait, I'm actually placing my hope in the king of government. 
whether it's the Democrat Party, Republican Party, or Donald Trump, or whoever it is, that like my hope is in them to get this fixed and to fix this economy and help us get back to normal. I'm wondering if you'd really think about it, if some of you would say, um, you know, I'm really placing my hope in this placeholder king of, of medicine and science. Like, I'm trusting that they're going to come up with a vaccine, which is an, an amazing thing, right? But I'm placing my hope in this, that they're going to fix things and get everything back to normal. Or maybe for some of you, you would maybe recognize that while all of that is out there and it seems too big for you, you're just going to um, maybe worry about yourself for a second, and you've placed your hope in the king of pleasure. And you've escaped to that. And you may find yourself, I may have found myself there right when it started, of saying, oh, yeah, sure, I'll have my seventh cup of coffee for the day. You're just trying to do any little thing to give you a jolt, to burst some excitement. I think one day, last week, I had like 12 LaCroix in one day. No, no joke. Just like one after another, to have just a little bit of pleasure at a time. Some of you may find yourself... It's the middle of the week, you got to work in the morning, and it's 12.45 a.m., and you're like, well, I've watched four episodes of Tiger King, why not watch a couple more, right? We're like escaping to these things for momentary pleasures, and I, I got to be honest, I'm guilty too. I've got four kids, I should be going to bed at 9.30 p.m., but last week, I watched Ford versus Ferrari until 1 a.m. in the morning, so I, I'm guilty right along with you. But here's the reality, that the government may bring some life to the economy, but people are still going to lose their life. And the economy, in the years to come, is still going to have its ups and downs. It's going to flow. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. In the medical world, uh, they may find a vaccine for COVID-19 that may save lives, but that's not going to fix marriages, and that's not going to fix depression. That's not going to bring ultimate satisfaction to people, and it's not even going to solve the next pandemic that comes along in 10 to 15 years. And the reality is that escaping to pleasure may literally bring you hours, maybe even just minutes of escape or pleasure or comfort. But these are all temporal placeholder kings sitting on the thrones of our hearts just waiting to be knocked off by the next circumstance or the next issue. So what is God talking about? A forever kingdom, an eternal king to place our hope in. And in this moment, in light of that, what is going to save us from our um, temporary times of dissatisfaction or hopelessness or our state of of placing hope in faulty kings. What is God's solution? Well, Jesus, in the line of David, who was the offspring of God, was the one that this was talking about. In order to fulfill this lofty thing to protect us, to guide us, to walk with us, to bring us hope, to bring us life, and to order to provide eternal hope, God himself had to step down to the earth. He had to step down and become king, the eternal king. This is Jesus. This is the offspring that God was talking about who lived sinlessly, died in our place, and then he invites us into experience the goodness and hope of this eternal kingdom. Listen to the eternal nature of this hope that's described in Colossians 1 about Jesus. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It says this, starting in verse 15. It says that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent or supreme. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus is the king to fulfill 2 Samuel chapter 7. God's promises are fulfilled in him. Jesus is the one who holds everything together. He holds our very lives together, and he always has. And through the cross, Jesus took our primary enemies of sin and Satan and death, and he put an end to them. And if you have given your life to Jesus, given your sin over to Jesus. He makes peace with you through the cross, and he invites you into this eternal kingdom. He invites you into a relationship with the eternal, lofty king, and no one can shake this kingdom. No one can topple the throne of this king, and no circumstance can shake the deep, deep hope that we can find in the eternal king. Uh, for me, uh, I hope I'm not alone, uh, but, or I'm sure I'm not alone, but for me, um, I tend to lose sight of this hope at times. And one of the most inspiring things to me to get my mind around this eternal hope is to look back at Christians of the past and see people who have gone through the worst of the worst, and even in that, they have remained supremely confident and connected to this eternal hope of King Jesus. And as I was thinking about this, my mind immediately went to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you may know that name. You may uh, know that he was a young German pastor when Hitler came to power in Germany. And um, when that happened, <coughs> uh, Hitler was one of uh, a few pastors that were well-known for coming out and saying, hey, we're going to be um, tied to and we're going to proclaim Jesus. We're not going to pledge allegiance to uh, Germany and Jesus. Jesus is our guy. Like, that's it. And because of this, uh, he got shut down and he was no longer allowed uh, to, to speak anywhere in public. And so after that, with the care for the German people and the church going forward, he founded a, an underground seminary that was off the grid. And in that, he wanted to invest in these young pastors so they could carry the torch of Jesus onto future generations in the church. Well, the German government found out about that as well, and they shut it down. And after that, he actually employed a new tactic or a new um, idea, and that was he actually joined with the German government in kind of a secret service type role. A and in that place, he joined it as a double agent. What he was supposed to be doing is going to find Jews and, and to bring them into the authorities, but instead he was going to find this vulnerable population, and he was actually letting them go and pointing them to, the w to a way that they could get away. Well, he was eventually found out for that, and he was uh, sentenced to prison. And he went to prison. He was there for two years. And while in prison, um, he, on one hand, he was encouraging and corresponding uh, with his family and friends on the outside. And at the same time, on the inside, um, he was pastoring uh, the prisoners alongside him. 
Well, after two years in that prison, he got transferred to an extermination camp in Flossenburg. And this was just one month before Germany surrendered. But on that day, uh, he lost his life. And a camp doctor later recalled the scene. He said, the prisoners were taken from their cells. And the verdicts of court-martial read out to them. Through the half-open door in one of the rooms of the huts, uh, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer, before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor and praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a prayer and then climbed the steps of the gallows, brave and composed providence. The eternal King Jesus gives us unwavering hope because he transcends circumstances. Even looking at death in the face, we can face it with calm and even anticipation because it gets better on the other side of eternity. And if you are watching today, I don't know where you are, whether you're here in Omaha or somewhere else throughout the United States or throughout the globe, and you have never given your life to Jesus before, you have never experienced this eternal hope, could I plead with you, this is better than anything else that you are going to find. Jesus is inviting you to place your hope in him this morning. So if that's something you want to do, please reach out to us. Find someone on the chat. Go to the prayer room and connect with someone. Give your heart to King Jesus, the eternal King that gives eternal hope. And for those of you who are in Christ, you've experienced this hope. Um, man, as a part of our church, I, I desperately want in this season for us to not just wait to get back to normal, but my prayer is that in this season, we would actually come out the other side with a deeper sense of hope, an eternal hope, a stronger faith. And I think the call in this season, as Andrew said earlier, is to get back to the disciplines, to pray our guts out, to, to read whenever we have the chance, to, to read the Word of God, to, to be in virtual community at any chance that we have, so that when we come out to this, we don't just relax back into our old normal, but we actually create a new normal that has a deep sense of faith in Jesus and an unwavering hope in the eternal king. My prayer, Providence, that is that when this season is over, we would be a changed people and that we would find an eternal hope in the eternal king. Let's pray. Jesus, we are um, grateful that you had a plan, that it wasn't us, it was you. Um, and you have pursued us, you have invited us in, and there is nothing in this world that can shake the reality um, that you have provided hope for us and you have given us something eternal that we can't get on our own. God, I pray that if there are people who have never given their hearts to you that are wrestling with this right now, that they um, would surrender to you, they would surrender their hearts to you and experience the goodness of the eternal king. God, for us as a church, I pray that in this season um, it wouldn't be a time to coast or to kind of back up, but it would be a time to lean in, that our faith would grow, that our hope um, would grow, and that our intimacy with you as the eternal king would grow even more. God, we pray this would be true of us by your spirit's power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.